today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. We are built together by sacrificial love. The apostle says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, he says two very important words before he tells us what to do. He says, above all. He says, the most important thing when it comes to relating to other people building God's building is this. What is it? Love one another. Open God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. As Pastor Ricky continues his teaching series through the book of 1 Peter, he'll be teaching us the most important aspect of building relationships with others. The key to building relationships is unconditional love. As the Apostle Peter encourages the church through his letter, he tells them that above all, love one another. The most important thing you can do to show the world that Jesus lives within you is to have unconditional love towards others. Now, here's Pastor Ricky with part one of his message entitled, The Same Kind of Different. Writing in Cosmopolitan, the columnist says the following, If you were to look at my Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, it would seem that I have lots of close friends. But the truth is, I'm one of the loneliest people I know. I don't have a significant other. I don't have many friends. And my weekends usually consist of solo Netflix binges and gossiping with my grandma. Later on in the article, she concludes this. After talking through my issues with family members like my grandmother and my therapist, I've realized that my need to be independent and rely solely on myself is why I'm unable to make and keep meaningful friendships. So she wants to be who she wants to be, who she's supposed to be, but she also wants to have friends that she realizes these two things are butting up against one another. And this is, guys, this is not just women. In fact, a lot of the research over the last few years, including an article I saw in the Huffington Post, is pointing to the fact that men especially are in an epidemic where they have few, if any, close friendships in their lives. We feel, I think, in this modern world more and more isolated, and we wish we could connect, and we wish that that connection was part of a cause that matters, but we also want the freedom to watch what we want to watch, when we want to watch it, and eat what we want while we watch that thing, and then do what we want after that, and then we look around and complain, why isn't anyone with me? But I believe these two longings in our hearts are there for a reason. These two longings are given to us by God. Our culture makes our desire to be ourselves or to be who we want to be into an idol of individualism. So that's not what I'm talking about. And then our culture makes our desire to be in a community into an idol too. And we feel cut off and and apart and desperate to be part of something. But listen, in coming to Christ, we are restored to the way these things are meant to be fulfilled. See, 1 Peter chapter 1, God has a lot to say about how he's called us to himself. But 1 Peter chapter 2 adds something. It, it, it says God has called you to himself, but he's also called you to be together with other people. If, if you're in 1 Peter, look briefly at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, just by way of review. Peter says this, 
2, in, in chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, meaning Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So God's people are called to God, but then called together to be built into something together. And it hints that there is a mission for them that, that we get in verses eight and nine of chapter two, where Peter says, we are together to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So as, as we are built together in the pattern of Jesus, we are to proclaim and demonstrate who Jesus is to the world around us. But here's a question. Well, what does that practically look like? How do we then on a kind of weekly, daily, yearly basis reconcile? We want to be who we're supposed to be and, and we want to be part of a community that matters. Well, that's our text in 1 Peter chapter 4. How do we live day to day, week to week as living stones in this thing that God is building? We're going to revisit some verses from last week. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8. Above all, the apostle says, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter has laid out in chapter 2 already the blueprints of this building that God is constructing, this living temple. And it is founded and patterned on Jesus as the cornerstone. It is built by these transformed and called out people. And it has a glorious purpose of proclaiming Jesus to everyone around it. But today, we're going to walk out onto the construction site with Jesus. He's going to unfold the blueprints and say, okay, this looks awesome, right? Now, let's divide some work up. You guys, I want you to work on this section of the wall. And you guys, you're going to be in charge of these materials. And you guys are going to be doing this. See, these verses help define out a little bit better what it looks like to build week to week together. And we're going to see that this is exactly what we long for, even though that may seem counterintuitive. So first thing we learn in this text is that we are built together by sacrificial love. We are built together by sacrificial love. The apostle says, above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, he says two very important words before he tells us what to do. He says, above all. He says, the most important thing when it comes to relating to other people building God's building is this. What is it? Love one another. This is a posture of deep affection for someone else. Now, this is not just, okay, don't hate the other people in the building. See, sometimes I think Christians, we would be a little bit more comfortable if these verses read, well, just don't be a jerk. 
But this is an active command. Actually, positively love one another. And it's emphasized this way. Keep loving one another. So they've been doing this. Peter knows about their witness. Keep doing this. Don't stop in this. Persevere in this. And then he adds this word, earnestly. That means with intensity and effort. Some of the commentators would, would point out that this, this earnestly word means to stretch or to strain kind of the way an athlete's muscles do as he's running a, a triathlon, as his whole body is getting worked and strained toward the goal. Peter says, love one another like that. And this isn't even the first time that Peter has brought this up. In 1 Peter 1.22, he says, having brotherly love, love one another earnestly. In 1 Peter 2.17, he says, love the brotherhood. In 1 Peter 3.8, he charges them to have unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love. And then he ends the letter by encouraging them to greet one another in love. Even outside of this letter, Paul the Apostle says the greatest Christian virtue is love. This is the call, friends, of every Christian. But Peter knows something. He knows that if we're going to be charged with building this grand thing that Christ has laid out, we don't just jump into the tools of what do you do, what do I do. He points to what binds the whole structure together. And that is love. Recently, I I read that Google did a comprehensive study trying to figure out how to get people to perform effectively in teams. And so they put all these different configurations of teams together trying to figure out, okay, what works best? And surprisingly, they realized that the key factor wasn't the experience of the people involved or their skill or the level that they were at in the company or their department that they'd come from. It was, surprisingly, the way that the team treated one another. If they operated with respect and they enjoyed being together and they cared about one another, they succeeded. Essentially, to overlay the biblical language onto that, if they had some level of love for one another, the team was far more effective than stacking all of their best people in another group who hated each other and didn't like one another. And it didn't have to be a hostile thing. They were were pointing out some teams seemed respectful on the surface, but they realized at a certain point that people were just waiting for their turn to talk, right? If you've ever been on a team like that, where you think, I don't think so-and-so is actually listening. I think they're just waiting to say something. Um, They realized, no, 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 the, the groups that they leaned in, cared about one another, that they talked to each other about how their families were doing, those teams succeeded. Look, Peter is a master builder. Because he's, he's modeled his building after Jesus Christ. And this is why he says, above all, if you have nothing else, even if your skill level isn't great, if your people aren't the best, keep loving one another earnestly. This is the way you build. Now, perhaps you're wondering what that line after that means. Since love covers a multitude of sins. You may wonder, what in the world is that? Is he saying that if you love somebody that God will forgive their sins or if, or if you love somebody, God will forgive your sins somehow? Well, probably Peter is referencing Proverbs 10, 12, which says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers offenses. 
Peter is saying that if you really love one another, you'll apply this to covering the sins and offenses of your fellow Christians in love. Now, this doesn't mean that you never confront somebody about their sin or you never practice biblical church discipline out of love, but it means this, that many, many things in this great building project called the church get overlooked and forgiven out of love. See, you could ask, okay, what's your posture when someone sins against you? Maybe somebody uh, spoke an unkind word to you. Maybe at community group, there was a kind of a tough interaction between you. Maybe on your team, there's some conflict and you felt like, well, this person said they were gonna do this and they didn't. And so, ah, what's your posture? See, what gets revealed in that moment is whether you overlook in love, cover that sin in love, or they say, no, 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 I want my rights. This is what Peter is talking about. But the question could be, well, how can this be real and possible? How can we actually love one another with this stretching and straining love that even covers over their sins? See, I think Peter's phrasing here is meant to bring something to mind. Does love cover a multitude of sins? And is there any example that we could look to to see this clearly? I think Peter knows that very clearly when we think about love covering a multitude of sins, our thoughts will turn to Jesus. See, nowhere more clearly have we seen someone's love cover a multitude of sins than in the love of Jesus. We had sinned against Jesus. We did not deserve to have our sins forgiven. We had rejected him. We'd pursued living our own lives in rebellion against him. We had broken our relationship with him and utterly and completely turned away from him. And yet he came and died in our place for our sins. And with his arms stretched wide on the cross, Jesus covered our sins by taking them on himself. This is what Peter's calling us to do. He, he's saying, have you, have you known the love of Christ? Have your sins been covered by his love? Then, then love one another earnestly in that same way. Maybe this is surprising to you, but I have seen as a pastor, as a kid that has grown up in the church, I have seen fights between Christians in the church. I don't know if that shocks you, but I have seen it. It has happened once or twice over the 30-year history of our church. I've seen fights among leaders in the church at times. I have probably, strictly speaking, not like in a crazy way, but probably participated in some fights between leaders in the church. I have sinned against people that currently attend our church. And surprisingly, they have also sinned against me. Now, why then would we still be together? We're together because being a Christian does not mean that you never sin against another Christian or that another Christian never sins against you. The difference being a Christian makes is what you do after that happens. Do you repent quickly out of love for your brother or sister and go to them and ask for forgiveness? Do you forgive them quickly when they 
come to you. See, this, this is where the, the church should be unlike anywhere in the world. Not just because we sin against one another a little bit less, but when that happens, we are quick to cover over things in love. Now listen, friends, this is not easy, but this is what our hearts actually long for. We, we long for a place where we relate to one another this way. We long for a place where people see us in our sin at our worst and still love us. And this is what God is building in the church. So ask yourself, do you have an, a love for your fellow Christians? Not just uh, kind of you're neutral toward them. Well, I'm not, I don't hate any of them that much, um, no, Peter calls you, if you're, if, you're, if you're negative one and you really do hate some people, this verse will call you to know, love them. If you're at zero, you don't feel anything for the body around you, Peter calls you forward. And if you're, you already think, okay, I love one another, then I love these people, then, then Peter says, love one another earnestly, stretch and strain. And listen, if, if you feel nothing there, I would encourage you to meditate on Jesus' love for you. That's the way that you cultivate love for others is by remembering what Jesus himself has done for you and allowing that to overflow into love for others. The church is built together by sacrificial love. But point number two, each one in the church is there for a reason. Each one, every single one of us. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God, as good stewards of God's very Grace. Now listen what, to what Peter does not say. He does not say, well, if you received a gift, then serve one another because God may have run out. And so if you were at the end of the line, you don't have a gift, it's okay, just attend, that's fine. He says, no, 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 that's not the kind of if here. He says, as each has received. He's assuming, listen, that every single Christian in the churches he is writing to have received a gift from Jesus. Every person has a part to play in this building. And one of the worst things I think that's happened to the American church is this idea that only a few gifted super servants do the ministry and everyone else gets together and claps for them, right? Like we have a few people that do stuff that seems impressive, that preach to crowds or play awesome music or, or are on a mic or, or just kind of commando evangelist or on a college campus and we all go and, man, that's so awesome. That's so good. Good, good thing we have these gifts. Wish I had one. No, that's, that's exactly the opposite of what Peter is saying here. This would be, see, the church acting like that would be like construction workers who are in the process of building a building, and the foreman shows up to talk through the day's plans, and he says, all right, I've got the blueprints from the architect, and this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be working on this. We're going to be working on that. Let's be careful not to do this or to do that. And guys, let's really, let's really not fight today. Let's really get in there and, and, you know, and, and respect one another, and let's take a good lunch break, and so-and-so's bringing in lunch, and then, and then he, he finishes the speech, and everyone claps for him, and then they go home. The foreman would say, um... Wait, what are you doing? And they would say, well, that, I mean, that, that was a great speech. I mean, really, it's good to see that stuff is happening at this construction site, you know? I'm glad, I'm glad somebody's out there telling us what to do. I'm glad somebody's saying these things. The world needs to hear these things. And so thanks a lot, man. 
Like, no, but we, we need you. You're, you're, you have a skill that we can't building the build, build this building without. No, I think, I mean, it looks fine. I mean, that speech was good. I think we're good, right? That's what, that's what this is like in the American church, that, that maybe on the, during the Sunday gathering, a few gifts get showcased, and everyone assumes, well, that's good that the church is happening. I guess I can go home and do whatever I want now. No, Peter says this, as you have received a gift, we need that gift. And how do you use that gift? To serve one another, not just to serve yourself. See, there is something in you and in your gift that the rest of the body needs. And when you are not here, when you don't use that gift well, we all suffer. And he adds this. Peter adds, as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, the ancient people would have immediately understood the picture he was painting here. In the ancient world, um, often there would be masters of big houses, lords or, or noblemen or whatever would have a big house with lots of servants and indentured servants and family and all kinds of people. And the master of the house would entrust tasks and responsibilities to servants. And so they would say, listen, I need you to manage my land in this section, or I need you to, to go down and, and fund these three ships that are bringing cargo, and I want you to do this and this and this. And so they would have all of this money, all these funds, all these resources, and they would be given them by the master. And the master then would follow up and ask, okay, how did it go? Did the, the, the ship investment work out? What did you see? Did you invest or not? Or how did those fields go? Did they produce fruit or were they, were they not good? I mean, what, what happened with the resources that I gave you? See, that's the picture here. Or think about it this way. In, in medieval times, the, the king would give land and even a castle to one of his lords or to a vassal, and, and that lord would give little plots of land to farmers and other people. But part of the arrangement was that if the king went to war or if he needed economic support, then he would call on the people he'd given the castles and land to and say, hey, remember the castle that you're living in? They'd say, yep. Like, good. Then we need some knights. So I want you to round up some people and I need like 100 guys by next Tuesday, right? And if the knight, if the Lord said, listen, um, I, I think we're good. I think we're just going to stay put. I think things are going well. Then the king would not be happy, right? Because they don't own the land, they're stewards of the land that the king has given them. Now, our God is not a stingy, mean king that is calling on us for silly tasks, okay? He is the sovereign creator of the universe who's launched a plan of redemption to restore all things and brought us along into that plan. But friends, what we have in terms of gifts are not ours, and we must remember that. When our king says, I love you, I've showered you with gifts, I want to invite you to join me with the gifts I've given you in what I am doing. There's something in our hearts that should go, yes, yes, I am a steward. I don't own this thing. I want to use it to serve you. Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. First Peter is one of those hard-hitting books in the Bible intended to shake us to the core. In this series, Pastor Ricky will be sharing messages entitled The Counter-Cultural Christian Community and The Time is Short and many more. 
Each one of these messages will bring insight into specific areas in the Christian life. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcanta of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at www.betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, the number to call is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. Music heard here on Better News Radio is courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series in the book of 1 Peter next time on Better News Radio. Open.